0: Episode 29 of Long Hair Do Care, a podcast that discusses different queer, intersectional, eco-feminist topics. And I am your host, Georgie Corkery, pronouns she, they. Today's topic, the topic for August 2022, is Sageland Collaborative. And to introduce this really cool organization, I have Sarah Woodbury as my guest. Sarah Woodbury is the Communications and Outreach Director for SageLine Collaborative. Also, she is a graduate student in the Environment and Society Program with me here at Utah State University. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, and okay. um will you quickly state your pronouns? Yes, she, her. Awesome, thank you so much. What are you most excited to talk about today in terms of SageLand collaborative?
1: Ooh, I'm excited to share our general work, I would say. I think our community science is something that sort of sets us apart from other conservation groups in the, the community. And so, yeah, I'm excited to, to share that with more people. I definitely agree with you in terms of the community science,
0: and we can talk about that later. I also, I want to talk about community science versus citizen science. Ooh, yeah. That'll be, I'm so interested. Yeah. Okay, before we jump into the topic, as everyone knows, uh, we have to talk about a few fun things. Including the cats we've interacted with. Sarah, have you interacted with any cute snuggle
1: puffs lately? Oh, I... My dog does not love cats. So, <laughs> the recent cats I've seen have been running away. While oh. I try to keep my dog leashed and close to me, <laughs> so unfortunately that's what is coming to mind. I did have a very friendly cat the other week who just like came over, so friendly, total snugs. Oh, yeah. neighborhood cat. Yes. Uh, yep. I love neighborhood cats.
0: Yeah. I also saw a neighborhood cat back in August. I forget what it looked like. I just wrote down neighborhood cat. Or his or a street cat. Either way, super <laughs> friendly. It's one of those that like runs up to you meowing and you're like, I oh. love you. And I definitely saw a few other cats and it's like, hi, and they just give you those eyes and you're like, okay. Uh-huh. What I tell everybody is cats are lessons in consent and you just, <gasps> you gotta.
1: <laughs> I love that. That's so true. <laughs> That's yeah,
0: totally not approach true. if they don't want you to. Um, yeah. So I saw street cat. I also interacted with Milo, who is Ronan Hart's cat. I talk about him almost every episode. He was a guest on a previous episode, episode 20, A Positive Transition. And Milo is just adorable. He lives so close to me. And whenever I walk by the house, I'm just staring into the windows (laughs) to see if I can see Milo. I love him. Also very interactive. And then my friend Dakota's cat, Finn, I think you... Maybe you met Finn. Oh,
1: yes. I think I did. Once. Big
0: gray cat with green, yellow eyes. Just... uh, (laughs) This cat is the size of... Bigger than small dogs. You know? It's... (laughs) I love Finn. Finn's very cute. And recently Dakota drove to Florida because he moved there. And apparently Finn was just walking around the car, hanging out with him, chilling on his lap, and I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, he's really chill. And I was like, okay, man. What a rarity. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He sent me some photos
0: and was like, wow, I love, I love this, I love Finn. Also seems a little dangerous potentially, but I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah. For wildlife, have you seen anything, any fun wildlife recently?
1: Ooh, what comes to mind is I saw a reishi. The other day Ooh. that was just actually a few of them around in one area as you will and just really beautiful. I just love their shape and their texture and hey. everything about them.
0: So, Where did you see yeah. them?
1: Up oh I was up Logan Canyon. I want to say I was on the Darting Juniper Trail. Okay that's a great trail. Yes really good. I yeah. love
0: that. I think yeah. that was, well that was my second hike in Logan and uh-huh. it was in the fall, (gasps) and the leaves were changing. It's so
1: beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's it's good. It's a good one. We also saw, like, puffballs that just release their golden spores, yeah, just, like, tons of cool Sounds magical. Yeah. (laughs) Magical.
0: (laughs) I was in the field in August last month, and uh, I saw one deer. We thought we'd see more, but it just, like, skittered away, and then I saw three snakes (gasps) all kind of in the same marshy area. (sighs) each time i just scream so loud <laughs> because that's you know, that's millions of years, maybe thousands of years of evolution. I screamed. It was really alarming. It was really little, and then it's in this tall grass, and so every time we walked in that area, it was me and my kick-ass tech named Piper, uh-huh. and I'd always be like, Snick, don't step on snake!" <laughs> and, and after the first time, I was like, I'm going to see it again, and then I don't know if it was the same one, but yeah. I definitely saw two other snakes Aww. in the same area, and I was scared every time. So maybe it was the same one, but either way, Saw at least one snake three different times.
1: Wow! Do you know what kind? Um, gotcha. It was
0: a gopher snake. Oh,
1: that's so cool!
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, they're they were little. Yeah, or it was little. Whatever, no. whatever number that was. Oh. I also in the field saw a rabbit, three red-tailed hawks that were just circling around, which was pretty cool, oh. and one downy woodpecker. Oh. That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. We were all very excited. Oh, yay. Uh, I saw another woodpecker at my family reunion in Oregon, but I didn't know what kind it was. Huh. Because they have different birds there, and I was just like, ah. Yeah. Maybe it's a downy, maybe it's an... Acorn, They all kind of
1: look similar to me. Yeah. I I cannot help with bird ID. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. I'm trying to learn, but Merlin app for me. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Merlin app is great. If folks don't know about that, uh, check it out. It helps you learn bird calls. For conscious content consumption, I am going to go first because I'm so excited. This is a podcast that I'm going to share with you. I'm surprised I haven't shared it before. I was looking back at my notes and it's like, I haven't talked about the podcast-ologies yet. It's one of my favorite. Have you heard of it? I've heard a couple
1: episodes. I haven't heard a ton, but I've loved what I have
0: heard. It's so good. It's hosted by Allie Ward. And honestly, when I first started listening to it, I think I was too jealous to (laughs) accept how much I loved it because Allie Ward is everything that I wanted to be as a podcast host. She's punny. She's funny. She's witty. She has, I just, everything was so perfect. So Allie Ward, as I said, is the host, charming and hilarious each episode she invites a different ologist on so a different scientist of some sort to geek out about whatever it is that they study or are working on whether it be death and dying or cats or turtles bats coral reefs sleep and here's a little snippet uh, that i just pulled from apple podcast volcanoes trees drunk butterflies mars missions Slug sex, death, anxiety busters, beer science, bee drama. That was a really long list. (laughs) Take away a pocket full of science knowledge and charming, bizarre stories about what fuels these professionals, these ologists, obsessions. Humorists and science correspondent Allie Ward ask smart people stupid questions, and the answers might change your life. Which I can attest to, because two of the episodes two ology episodes were on ADHD and I thought I was a dyslexic person for my whole life and then I listened to these episodes and was like huh I kind of sound like an ADHD person like the way that they're describing it and really going into it and my sister is severely ADHD and so I sent the episode to her and I was like hey this made me think of you and this is the first time I've ever thought that I was ADHD and My sister's response via text was, ha-ha, you are. (laughs) No way. No way. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, mom had you and I tested when we were kids, and we both tested positive for ADHD and dyslexia. And I was like, what? Whoa. Excuse me? And so I asked my mom, and she's like, yeah, no, you both tested positive for both. And I was like, what? How come you, like, never told me that I was ADHD? And basically, she was like, well, you were just never hyper.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, okay. Um, I mean, that, I don't think that was the full extent of it, but I just, I knew I was dyslexic. And then I did disabilities testing over the summer. It was seven hours of testing, not in one go. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at USU. So if anybody's at USU and you think you might be uh, dyslexic or ADHD or any of the other learning disabilities, you can do this. And it was this intensive test. And they came back and they're like, yeah, you're pretty severely ADHD. And uh, you don't seem to be dyslexic. And I was like, what? Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) So it did change my life. This podcast did change my life. Wow. Wait, how Um, old
1: were you when you found this out? This was—is it recent? Two months ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my! Wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So yeah,
0: and now I've started some ADHD medication. I forget what it's called, but it's not an upper. It's not like Adderall or Ritalin, Mm -hmm. and I can focus. Wow. And I'm like, oh my god, (laughs) I needed this a year ago when I started grad school. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Jeez. So yeah, if you're interested about learning disabilities, specifically ADHD, you can look up that podcast of Ologies. Another one that I was going to talk about was one on critical ecology, Mm -hmm. which is just right up my alley. And this episode asks questions like, how do societal structures affect the planet? Why should we get to know our neighbors? What's the ecological price we pay for dot, dot, dot stuff? And the guest is Dr. Suzanne Peer and she founded the Critical Ecology Lab, which sounds super dope. And they look at biomes of former plantations, air pollution, agricultural runoff, even ask questions about wildfire science and the prison system and how they're connected. Uh, It's a super cool episode. Dr. Peer is a person of color and is really looking at the intersection of race and gender and income and how all those things and how the systems that we set up based on those things are affecting ecological systems. Mm. It's so cool, wow. and it's right up my alley. So okay. I want
1: to listen to that, too. Yeah, <laughs> That's
0: cool. I want to work for the Critical Ecology Lab. So, uh, Dr. Pierre, if you are listening to this, I doubt you are, um, <laughs> <laughs> you could hire me. I could, uh, I don't know, I could start a podcast for you. Um, so that's Ologies. It's wonderful, and something that Allie does for every episode is... At the beginning, has the guest introduce their pronouns, which I really like, mm. normalizing it a bit more. And then as guests talk, she has asides and will fill in gaps where there are issues about race, class, or gender. And it's like, hey, I know this example that's being given is on a gender binary, mm. and I acknowledge that, that it's out of the binary, but like, for the sake of this example, like, we're going to stick with it, and here we go. Mm. And it's not in a way that ever bashes the guest's... But uh, it's just in a way where it's like, oh, I feel seen. Oh. So it's so well done. Everybody should listen to ologies. Do you have a conscious content consumption that you'd want to share?
1: I, well, okay. Conscious content, very quickly aside, is that like a specific type of content that we're looking for or no. anything that I've loved recently?
0: It. Anything that you've loved recently, and I guess I'll, I'll explain to you and to you listeners, I guess, why I like to do conscious content consumption. And it's because there's really no option for us but to consume content, whether that's reading books or it's on our social media and the people that we follow on our social media or the TV shows we watch or movies, video games, even podcasts. I listen to so many podcasts. I create a podcast. And sometimes we will watch a movie and be like, oh, that's how real life is. Mm. And it's not. And it's teaching you something that's not okay, whether that sexual violence towards women Mm. is all right. If somebody's transgender, that's gross. You see that Mm. in a lot of movies, and that's absolutely not okay. Mm. But they normalize that. Or (sighs) I have somebody who watched Sex in the City 2, the movie, and in it, there's these women, they're in another country where women wear hijabs. Mm. And then they like got in trouble because someone yelled condom loudly, I don't know. And so this one woman's like, come with us. And the four main characters of Sex in the City, they go into this house with all these women wearing hijabs. And then the women take off their hijabs and they're wearing Gucci underneath. And <laughs> so this person who I know who watched that movie was like, see, those women feel oppressed and they just want to wear glamorous clothing. And it's like, ooh, that is so not correct. Like, wow. how can you base your idea of this religion and this culture and that place based on this movie, Sex in the City
1: 2. Oh, that's so many layers. So There's so many layers there. That's
0: (laughs) so bad. And, uh, we couldn't pack them, but, uh, hopefully (laughs) listeners, you just understand why that's not okay. And that's, that's a really big example, right? But Mm -hmm. then there's a lot of small examples where people just start thinking about, you know, they, I mean, and I did this, I grew up watching all sorts of things and being like, oh, well, that's, that's what you do. That's what somebody who is assigned my gender does. So I, I like to bring conscious content consumption to people, being like, hey, well, here are cool people you can follow on social mm. media, whether it's black ballerinas or I guess black ballet dancers. I don't know if mm. we call them ballerinas. Hmm. Good or. Question. There's All Bodies on Bikes, which is a really cool group of folks on Instagram, or Mm -hmm. all the books that I like that I think have good representation of queer folks, of people who struggle with code switching, Mm -hmm. things like that. So if you have something that you read or watched or consumed lately, and you're like, yeah, this was a good representation of what reality is, and it mm. empowers people and it gets you thinking. Ooh. Or something that you just love, like a poem.
1: I had somebody share a poem. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's a good. <sighs> I think what what's coming to mind is I recently read Spell of the Sensuous by David Abram. Ooh. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. Spell it, of the Spell Sensuous? Spell of the Sensuous, yes. Ooh. It's so beautiful. The subtitle is Language and Perception in a More Than Human World. Ooh. It is just gorgeous. So it's like an animist perspective, very deeply animistic and David Abram actually comes from a sleight of hand background. He's a sleight of hand magician for okay. years, putting himself through college. And as he traveled the world doing that, he started to get to know shamans in different places and different folks practicing magic in different areas and cultures. Whoa. So he, what yeah. a transect. Like, not interesting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he got to study with a lot of different folks, and basically, this book is exploring ways of perceiving that are outside of the world that Western, sort of white missionary driven or framed ideologies have given us. And wow. it's, it's beautiful. That like, sounds beautiful. It really is. I. Definitely have cried many times. It's just, yeah, one of those. Uh, Two
0: things. I want you to say the title and the author's Uh name again, and then
1: define animist? Oh, yes. I would love to. So David Abram, Spell of the Sensuous, is what it's called. Okay. An animist is essentially someone who believes in life inherent to all things. It's sort of like a direct... I don't know if response would be the right word, but our cultures are built off of animist perspectives. So all of us come from, at some point, societies that were animist, that saw life in all beings through a lot of different structures, reduced life around us to nothing or even, yeah, other humans as well. So yeah, it's just essentially an honor of life and belief and ability and interest in seeing the perception and individuality and beingness of others in the planet.
0: So. Well, that sounds really great. Yeah. I'll, uh, I will add it to my list, yeah. and I'll definitely link it in the show notes for folks. Yeah. yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's jump into our topic, which is Sageland Collaborative. And I'm just going to ask you right off the bat, what is Sageland Collaborative? Oh, yes,
1: great question. <laughs> <laughs> so we are a group that does science in service of wildlife and wildlands. We have been around since, I think, 94, oh, wow. but yes, basically where our niche is that's unique in kind of the Intermountain West, I would say, is that we are engaging with conservation issues from science while engaging the community. We're not an outreach or education organization, and we're not an advocacy organization, but we exist in this yeah. interesting in-between space. So we engage all kinds of community members in our projects that essentially source science in there, source data that helps answer big conservation questions.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. And it is a nonprofit. profit yes. correct? Mm-hmm. Based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Yes but um, you don't only do work in utah right which leads me to my second question mm-hmm. sageland collaborative used to be called wild utah project mm-hmm. and then went through a whole rebranding and i think part of that was done because it, one it's not centered to utah mm-hmm. but then for other reasons including getting a dope new logo you yes. all should look it up <laughs> but do you
1: want to talk about the rebrand a little bit yeah. and why it's significant yes i would love to so yeah, like you said, we are expanding beyond Utah. Our Rosie Finch project, which is led by biologist Janice Gardner, has recently expanded into Idaho and other surrounding states around Utah. So yes, Utah does not define what we do. And then also, we actually were originally founded as an offshoot of Wildlands Network. Oh. So we were like one of their projects, Wild Utah Project. Oh, OK. Yeah. 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 And so we have a lot of projects. and so. Yeah, just the word project doesn't necessarily (laughs) cover, like, all of the things we do. Yeah. So those things. And then also we engaged a little bit with what the word wild means and what Mm. we're actually trying to do. And, yeah, I think just with conservation, we've shifted out of maybe this idea of wildness or like this concept of yeah. trying to preserve this pristine wild with air quotes but rather engaging with environment and community and how we can answer conservation questions yeah that's
0: interesting I didn't quite I definitely thought about the word project yeah because it's not one project you work on yeah. many projects which we'll talk about in just a moment and it's not just in Utah yeah. but then wild itself and I don't know, I kind of want to take a minute to talk about that word. Yeah, I've had so many classes as an undergraduate in the Environment and Sustainability Studies program, mm-hmm. uh where we obviously talk about environmental issues. You'd go into a class, and the first thing the teacher would do is like, okay, write down your definition of wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe not the right word. I don't mm-hmm.
1: know. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this and yeah. how it's defined and how it's used? Yeah, that's a great question. I think... I think it has its place. I think that it's also important to recognize that there are some issues that it brings up. Like I'm thinking of the myth of the pristine, how basically when European settlers came over to the United States or to whatever it was then. Whatever they colonized. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. They had this, this idea that what they were looking at was this pristine, untouched place um, this and it, wilderness yeah the wild capital w wilderness that's just just gleaming on its own but actually there's as you probably have covered on this podcast i'm guessing but a long history of indigenous management yeah really intensive management and so yeah that's one example of this idea of wildness doesn't actually serve what what i am hoping that we want which is this inclusive beautiful respect of, of earth yeah yeah,
0: yeah. I think another part that plays along with that is we are not separate from nature. Yes. And the idea of wildness puts us in contrast with quote unquote mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. It's like we have the developed world yeah. and potentially trigger warning for a word, civilized world. Yeah. You know, like this is yeah. where civilization is. And then we have where it's undeveloped and yeah. it's scary. And now people because we do live in these developed areas now we seek the wilderness because we're not surrounded by it but we used to be surrounded by it and so Mm. we go out and we recreate in it and we do all these things but the wild and maybe this goes back to the book that you shared the wild is what we're a part of and what we're in and what we are changing like it's, Mm. it's all of it yeah um yeah. It's the trees around us. It's the birds. I love birds because you see them all the time every day. Yeah. And it's just a reminder that there are other species living where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And we also see bugs all the time. But I think people yeah. are a little bit more inspired by birds, for yes. better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, we're not separate from wild Thanks for having that conversation yeah. with me
1: about that. I think it's important because, yeah, it really has. It's been used in, yeah, I guess how we're conceiving of, quote, nature is really important because it it's used in service of yeah. the systems we we set up and what we're doing to maintain this idea of wildness, which it has been to remove indigenous people from lands and, mm-hmm. yeah, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's a interesting topic. Yeah. You mentioned programs and one of them, you already said was the rosy finch program uh-huh. i'd love for you to list off the programs that you have mm-hmm. and talk about what they do starting
1: with the rosy finch mm-hmm. program yeah i'd love to okay so rosy finch program the Rosie finches are one of the most mysterious birds in north america Ooh. they love alpine places they use really high mountain rugged Habitats. And so scientists don't know a lot about them, and as climate change is threatening. Everything, but especially Alpine areas, we are looking at learning more about where they're moving, what kind of habitats they're using, and basic information about them so that we can figure out how to conserve them. Yeah. The project engages with community scientists across the West who go to specific feeders or have their own feeders that they monitor and do these 20-minute surveys looking for rosy finches that feeds into a big map of what's going on and helps scientists make plans for conservation.
0: I didn't realize that rosy finches were maybe the most, you said, elusive or unknown species with the most unknown data. I don't know how to say that, but they're the most (laughs) elusive bird species in North America. Yeah, I mean... That's at least what I would say. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big it's, statement. So yeah, I'm sure somebody's screaming at I know. their phone like, how dare you be so yeah. definitive? Yeah, someone um.
1: please question. I, I'd love to hear about your birds that are elusive and yeah. cool. But I went this summer with Janice, our biologist again, and another biologist in Idaho. And we went looking for Rosie Finch's multi-day backpacking across these talus rock slopes. It was awesome. We saw one Rosie Finch. Oh my goodness. At the top of our hike at this tiny little alpine lake. So, yeah, they're very uh, rugged creatures. Did you just celebrate at yeah. when you saw yeah. it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> open a bottle of wine. I'm sure you yeah. didn't backpack oh, with a bottle of wine. But. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: That's so funny. Yeah. And I participated in the Rosie Finch surveys. Mm-hmm. Two oh, wow. two years in a row. Oh, that's um, right.
1: mm-hmm. I forgot about that. That's yeah, so cool. <laughs> and
0: just to give my experience of it, in case anybody's interested, it happens at a
1: certain time of year. I forget when it starts. It starts in winter. I'm okay. trying to remember I think it starts in November.
0: Okay, um, yeah, it's yeah. it's Novemberish. Keep yes. your eyes open yes. for then. But you sign up as a volunteer and you go through a little training that helps you identify the birds. So mm-hmm. if you if you're a total novice and you're like, I've never identified a bird, one, I think you're lying because you know what a mallard duck is. But <laughs> two, this is a great chance for you to learn mm-hmm. a little bit about rosy finches and then the other birds that you might see around, including black capped chickadees which are my favorite bird
1: are they they are (laughs) here's
0: my favorite so you have this little orientation And then you pick a feeder. And I always pick one at a park or something, but some people have feeders in their backyards and some people pick feeders at ski resorts. So Mm -hmm. I know at Alta you have some feeders. I don't know about Snowbird
1: or Brighton or Solitude. I think we have some at Brighton, but I hope Janice doesn't listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't remember all the places we have, so we definitely have
0: a few at Alta. Well, I also know that there's a place on your website where you can find out where feeders are yes or you can email Janice Gardner uh-huh. um, her emails on the website of Sage Land Collaborative so you can be like where are feeders where mm-hmm. I could see these rosy finches mm-hmm. so you pick a feeder and then I think it's once a month for five months or something mm-hmm. yep. you go there for 20 minutes and you have a a paper that is like you know you do like tick marks you'll say what time it is? I always write who I'm with and draw like smiley faces and oh. stuff, even though that's super <laughs> unnecessary information for ecologists. Yeah, and then temperature, snowpack, wind. They walk you through how to write all these things down, and then you tally mark birds for 20 minutes. It's super easy. It's an excuse to get outside and maybe bring your friends with you to. Drink hot cocoa on a cold morning in a beautiful place. That's kind of how I've used it. It's a really fun experience, and I've never seen a rosy finch. (gasps) I'm so sad. I need to pick a higher elevation burr feeder. That's my issue. Ooh, we gotta get you a rosy finch this
1: year. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and I was
0: like, well, you can do, you have your like assigned dates and location like that one bird feeder you pick but you can do the opportunity observations and i kept being like okay i'm gonna go to alta and i'm i'm gonna see a rosy finch alta is a ski resort here in utah out of salt lake city and uh i never did it but maybe this year i will
1: (laughs) okay here's a secret they really like very sn- like huge snowstorms at Alta. Oh, that's when Janice okay. is always saying she's seeing like the flocks is when it's stormy, okay. and nobody wants to go up there. Yeah, that's when they're there.
0: Noted. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's great to know. So if anybody wants to join me next year, reach out to me. You can just do it on the Instagram. I do do this every winter. And you should too if you're interested. Yeah. So that's one of your projects. Yeah. The Rosie yeah.
1: French project. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's what's the next one? So another of our projects that I would guess might be the most popular, or kind of well known or wide reaching, I suppose, is Wasatch Wildlife Watch. So that project basically volunteers are again, all of these projects have a training, so things that I'm talking about, you'll have training Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so learn how to do it. But so volunteers are given um, wildlife cameras that they go set up in different parts of the Wasatch. Do they choose where? Yes, they can choose where. Okay. So they're like, um,
0: I want it in my backyard or next to my well, cabin. Or... Okay, not quite like that. Okay. There are
1: specific sites that it has to be one of those Okay, sites, okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And so there are a few times that they go back throughout the year to set up to do a check and then to take down and move to a new location, so there are three locations. Okay. And basically, what these cameras are doing is trying to paint a picture of wildlife movement in the Wasatch. So, as we develop at a really fast pace around here, like around Salt Lake, it's just kind of exploding. Yeah. <laughs> um, human population. Yes. Human and population. development. Yep, yep. I should have, <laughs> should have specified that. <laughs> but yeah, it's really important to understand what migration is looking like, what habitats are being used, and then we can start to plan things like wildlife bridges and where roads should go that are less harmful or things like that. Yeah, so. Okay.
0: Yeah. I guess I knew about the camera traps,
1: Yeah. but I didn't think about what you did with the data. Yeah, yeah. it's it's really cool. It's been used in some kind of bigger studies as well that answer some interesting questions like when are urban wildlife active, as opposed to wildlife out in the mountains. And yeah. like, what does that mean about human-wildlife interactions and how we're thinking about cities? Oh, you know, different different parts of That's so cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, I have so many questions. Yeah. First one is, what animals are you seeing?
1: Ooh, a lot. All kinds of animals. <laughs> so we've had... We've had a lot of moose. We've had bears in places that people aren't thinking about bears. Really, like a, a blonde black black bear. I think that was last year. Those a blonde cool. black yeah. bear. Yes, I feel like yeah. that should be the name of a beer or yeah, a
0: band, absolutely, or a restaurant <laughs> yeah. that makes muffins.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I see like a like ha- like a hairpiece on yeah. a black bear as a logo. Yeah. <laughs> we can see it. Yeah, we've also had. Lots of birds, we've had ermine, which is just like a weasel that has a white coat for the winter, basically. Really? If I'm rem- remembering that right. And then. In, in, in Utah. In Utah, yes. Oh! And we've had bobcats, a lot of cougars. We've had groups of cougars and baby Ooh! cougars, and just they're really cute. <laughs> we have one that's pretty cool. One image that was of a coyote chasing a deer across <gasps> a stream. Wow! very cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Foxes, I'm sure. Yes, foxes.
0: Okay. Oh, I love, yeah. I think foxes are my favorite animal, but it's so hard <gasps> oh! to see say what's your favorite animal yeah that is i think they're my favorite canine yeah yeah oh hard to say i love them cool they're really cool (laughs) they're
1: so beautiful i'm wondering if we've had badgers i don't know if i've seen a badger so that Mm, will be my homework is to go see if we've had badgers
0: i i've seen a badger in utah yeah i was
1: scared (sighs) yeah they're they're interesting yeah they're big kind of guys like they just like waddle around yeah (laughs) and you hear all sorts of stuff about
0: how intense they are and aggressive yeah there's that one very silly youtube video that i'm sure people have seen honey badger oh yeah
1: i forgot about that (laughs) that's so silly yeah (laughs) Uh, if you
0: haven't seen it look it up for a laugh yeah (laughs) but the last badger i saw i we saw two i was with matt Matthew Woodman, he recently passed away, and we were oh. backpacking. We did uh, King's Peak. Oh. It was so cool. King's Peak is yeah. the tallest peak in Utah, and mm-hmm. it was the only time I've done it, and we were staying there overnight, and we we're coming down from the peak, and Matt's like, there's a badger. And I look over, and we're, like, trying to set up the, uh, I have binoculars, and, like, oh. we're using the phone and the binoculars to try to take a picture, and then all of a sudden there was another badger right behind it, uh-huh. And they were, they were next to each other. And then they started running in our direction. And oh, we were wow. like, screw the picture. And we walked away hastily. And nothing ever happened. Wow. But we were both so frightened. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would frighten me too. Because they were big. <laughs> yeah. And they're yeah. like, what the fuck? You know, they kind of did that <laughs> yeah. thing where they like pop their head up. Yeah. And they look at you. Yeah. And they give you a side eye. I don't know if they gave you <laughs> side eye. But they both were lopping over to us and like oh my goodness we're and so they're, scared they're kind
1: of flat and, yeah, yeah they just move interestingly cause they're, they're weasels cool. right yes are they, in the,
0: are they related to weasels yes they are yeah okay. yeah cool check with Janice <laughs> see if there's any uh, weasel or not weasels see if there are any badgers yeah that'll I'd be, be curious. that'll be a mission <laughs> okay so you see all sorts of animals mm-hmm. and who goes through
1: the pictures That is a great question. So that's another one of our projects, actually.
0: Well, then maybe we can transition to talking about that one. And before we do that, I want to clarify two things. Mm -hmm. Uh, What a camera trap is. Oh, yeah. And then I want to talk about the citizen scientists versus community science, because you use these people. Mm. You use these people. (laughs) Community scientists are who
1: does this volunteer work. But Mm -hmm. camera trap. Yeah. Explain what that is. So a camera trap is just a camera that when movement and heat go by it, it takes a picture of what it sees. Oh, and heat. Okay. Yes, movement and heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when wildlife are going by a camera, it will just take a picture, a couple pictures like every 15 seconds that the animal's there. How cool. Yeah. And so you get kind of a little snapshot of that being moving through space, which is cool. <laughs> definitely do get a lot of hikers in some places as oh, well. That's or so just funny. funny other things. Do you but... get any hikers doing things that you're like, Ooh,
0: Yes. they probably don't want us to see them doing that. Yeah,
1: yeah. The software, we do try to make him kind of visible for that reason, but the software also recognizes people. Oh. will be like, oh, a person, and flag it and get it away once you say as okay. yes, a person. Because
0: yeah. I can so. imagine being that person that it needs to go to the bathroom, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go over here, and then oh, I'm gosh. just squatting, and I look over, and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> there's a no. camera. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I definitely think about it when I want to go into the woods these days.
0: Okay. Well, so. yeah, folks, look around yeah. before you squat in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. And so community scientists, community scientists used to be called citizen scientists. Mm -hmm. And I know this because Tracy Aviary used to have Mm -hmm. a citizen scientist program. It's just basically people who live in the area volunteer to do science. Mm -hmm. You're just volunteering to do field work. And now we use the term community scientist. Do you wanna tell us why?
1: Yeah, it kind of depends on who you talk to. There are folks that are adamant about continuing using citizen science. We at SageLand use community science because we're trying to be inclusive of everyone and citizen has a little bit of baggage with it for lots of folks. So it implies that you have the legal status as a citizen potentially and it can be an exclusive word. And so We just like the word community for inviting everyone in and not potentially alienating some folks.
0: Yeah. So, yeah I back your decision. I think it's a good decision, yeah. however, I think the alliteration of mm-hmm. citizen scientists yeah. is better, and I'm always like, dang it <laughs> I know,
1: plus yeah, everyone knows that phrase at yeah. this point, so it is it is a a thing that folks are thinking about. Do we move to something that people are not familiar with, and yeah. know, what are all the but you still the got the the c and the
0: c community. Yeah. Science. I guess it's a, it's a C and an S. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, I just yeah. walked myself into that one. But <laughs> community scientists.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you also use community scientists to look at the pictures. Do you want to yeah. talk about that program? Yeah. And before I jump into that, I'll just mention that community science really is awesome because. Scientists, there aren't that many of them, and agency folks, too, are kind of operating often on like a tiny team of people who really care about wildlife and just don't have the capacity to get the kind of information they need. So community scientists are huge for being able to get a lot of data and understand big kind of large scale questions, which is crucial right now. So Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And something I've said on almost every single podcast is volunteering is something everyone should do. Mm. If you're sad, you should go volunteer. If you wanna make friends, you should go volunteer. If you wanna be part of a community, learn a new skill, go volunteer. If you're really happy, go volunteer, because you're gonna meet passionate people who I argue are the best kind of people, (laughs) and you will learn something new. So there's just no bad thing to it. If you are able to, if you have the time, if you have the privilege, Go volunteer and bring your friends with you. It's it's like a really great way to spend your time. And anybody you volunteer for is going to be so thankful. Yes. It, it, it blows my mind how often people say thank you when you just do something that you're like, oh, this is really easy. And they're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. You're contributing so much, and you're like, Cool, I counted a bird.
1: (laughs) No, it is everything. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) definitely vouch for the other side of that. It's just our volunteers are everything. We would not be able to do a fraction of what we are doing without our volunteers, they are the lifeblood of what we do. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I'm awesome on that. (laughs) So, image analysis is our other project, and that is kind of the second piece of wasatch wildlife watch it's still in the same umbrella but basically that is after these images have been collected of wildlife from all these camera traps they go into a database and our volunteers go through them and mark what species they're seeing okay it's kind of an awesome thing to do in the winter or to do yeah because like, you're group. just at home yeah yeah and also if you don't want to or can't access different places or have the time to set up cameras it's an, another way to get involved yeah. and see the behind the scenes of what wildlife are doing in the Wasatch it's it's really cool and then also fun to have contests with friends and family yeah who can, who can mark the most <laughs> wildlife who can see the coolest species that's
0: a fun thing to do yeah. I knew about that program and I was like well I could just listen my podcast. I could listen to ologies yeah. and just do it. <laughs> yeah. So these volunteers potentially have seen me squatting in the wilderness
1: <laughs> hopefully
0: not hopefully not <laughs> that's that so is very yeah
1: very rare uh, but Yeah, luckily human photos are not a part yeah, of the thing they're so, flagged like, out you'll that's yeah, cool. yeah that's cool yeah so i didn't
0: mean to scare anybody with that <laughs> you're not being watched and if you are people are graciously just deleting the photo yeah. and they cannot identify you this is not yeah. the government or big brother yeah
1: <laughs> oh gosh that's really cool and yeah that one seems accessible to folks, Mm -hmm. which is nice. Yes, a lot more accessible. Some of our projects have pretty remote options for volunteering. Uh So yeah, this is a nice one that almost anyone can get involved in Mm -hmm. um, if you have access to a computer. I
0: think that'd be a fun thing to do with kids too, right? Yeah. Because you're like, hey, what do we see here? What do we see here? Yeah, that'd be a fun family Mm -hmm. moment. I can also see it and maybe this is me being a nerd in grad school in their 20s, but (laughs) As a drinking game. (laughs) Oh my, yes. (laughs) Yes, every deer, like... (laughs) I feel like every deer you'd have to drink water. Yeah. And then every predator you'd have to drink... Something else. Oh, this sounds fun. Can Y'all we should make something? a drinking
1: <laughs> <cake? laughs> yeah. game. That would be so funny. <laughs> so good. <laughs> New club at USU. Here yeah, we come. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: what is it? Wasatch Camera Watch? No. Wasatch Wildlife Watch. Wasatch Wildlife Watch drinking game yeah, yeah. <laughs> here we go. janice we have a new program <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so
1: funny. okay any any other programs yes we do we've got our stream and riparian restoration project oh. is a big one right now specifically we've got a lot of dates on our calendar that folks can go out and this is a cool project because you get to get dirty doing Mm -hmm. conservation work. And you can often see a change over the course of a day. It's just a one-day commitment. So yeah, a little bit less of a long-term commitment. Yeah, you
0: just show up. Mm -hmm. Is this project the one where you mimicking beaver dams? Yes,
1: yep. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) very cool. Beavers are magicians. They're amazing. (laughs) They are the best at maintaining good habitats and varied habitats for different species of wildlife and all kinds of of great benefits with beavers. Maybe Um, explain why
0: before getting into the details of the project.
1: Yeah, basically these projects are happening in Utah and a lot of our streams here are quite degraded. There are multiple reasons for that, one of them being beavers being removed from the system. Mm -hmm. Beavers dam up streams and essentially they create different habitats that that should be there or that would be there. Because of the dam. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. like a mini reservoir. Yes. Yeah. And so these are structures that fish can get through that are not a big scary dam. So they allow for movement of wildlife. They create different habitats like pools. They allow for more wetland habitat Mm -hmm. for all kinds of different species, support more plant life. Like a lot of streams that you see around here are kind of straight and you might see sage right next to the stream, which means the water is not getting where it needs to go. It's kind of... Because sage is a desert plant. Right. Yeah. It's not... It shouldn't be a riparian plant. Yeah. (laughs) And so what our volunteers do is copy what beavers are doing, which is to build these easy, low-tech, cheap structures that are trying to essentially bring the water back up a little bit, create more habitat, and make the landscape healthy enough, hopefully to support beavers again yeah. at some point in some of these areas. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a cool one because you can watch the water changing while you're there often. Very cool. Yeah, it's pretty rad. Two questions, and I'll say them both just so that I remember them or uh-huh.
0: don't forget them. But the first one is, what is the low-tech structure yeah. i know the answer but i want yeah. you to say it <laughs> yeah. and then to do you need to do this before you can reintroduce beavers that's mm. not something i thought about
1: good questions the structures themselves are essentially wooden posts with plant matter woven in between and then you'll kind of put rocks and mud the, in there just trying to pretend to be a beaver <laughs> um. <laughs> what the volunteers do mm. is they go out with a
0: a hammer of some sort Mm -hmm. right yeah and then they drill these wooden posts in yep and then they
1: gather vegetation from around and rocks from around Uh uh-huh and they get dirty yep Yep. (laughs) muddy it's it's really fun yeah you might have juniper woven in there or sage just depending on where you are or willows and then another piece of that as well is we do riparian planting so we plant things like willows that have not been in the area because it's not healthy enough to support them I didn't yeah. know that part. Yeah, that you revegetated a little bit. Yeah. So your second question about whether this has to be done to support beavers—it depends on the landscape, okay. as is often the answer. In <laughs> <laughs> Some areas there might be enough food and structure for beavers, but in others but there's kind of nothing at this point because the strings are so degraded. That yeah, this helps kind of bring things back to a point where they can take it from there. And they're pretty resilient, but they can't go on nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I could have thought that through, but I Mm.
1: never was prompted to. So Yeah. Yeah a cool project, too, because we're working on whole watersheds and with all different kinds of groups. We have some of these projects happening on the Jordan River in Salt Lake, Mm. which is an urban stream. We have some happening on landowners' properties way out in the middle of nowhere where a fire has gone through the area in recent years or where they're noticing that the land isn't as healthy as it has been or trying to deal with drought. And so this has a lot of different partners and impacts, and it's, it's just a really cool project. Yeah, a large-scale project with yeah. direct impacts. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Everybody's dream. Yes, <laughs> this was the main thing that I knew about Stageland Collaborative And I think it's such a cool organization, which is why I wanted you to come on. I'm so excited. So I know that you have about two more projects to talk about. But for all of these, for folks who want to get involved, Mm -hmm. they go to your website and they can look up. They're like, well, I want to do the thing where
1: I'm mimicking beaver dams and (laughs) let's see locations and dates. Like, is it all on the website? Yes, it's all there. We have a page for each of our projects so you can explore, learn more what's required or what skills you might expect to gain or what kind of trainings there are. And then, yeah, you can just sign up either to hear about any of these kind of projects or you can sign up for the specific projects you're interested in. Awesome. And I'll have you repeat this again
0: at the end of the episode,
1: but say what your website is. It is Sageland collab collaborative.org or you can just do sagelandcollab.org both of them okay. will take you to us cool yeah. very cool <laughs> Yeah. so let's hear about uh, another one of your projects yeah one of our other projects is plants and pollinators Ooh. which is kind of a similar project to some of the other community scientist projects I've been mentioning basically again scientists are trying to deal with these massive population <laughs> declines of <laughs> bumblebees and monarchs and mm. it's It's pretty, pretty awful. There are big questions that still need to be answered about these species in order to conserve them. This project gets folks across in Utah, essentially recording whenever they see a bumblebee and what species or if they see a monarch or monarch habitat, which is milkweed. And so, this is another one that feeds into these larger scale maps that help with things like, say, an agency has restoration money. You know, yeah. we, we can restore some area, but where do we want to restore? And these spatial data help them yeah uh, make these decisions. Yeah, and knowing where might be most useful. That's very cool. So like
0: this that. is a another ongoing project. Yep. And so, as a citizen
1: scientist. You would have an app or something on your yes. phone? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so it's through Survey123, which is kind of like iNaturalist, similar okay. idea, I guess, in, in some way. but it's quite simple you just take a picture and then there's like a little guide for helping you identify and you're also trained on how to do that which is really cool yeah and yeah it takes your location and you just quote a few details about what you're seeing and that will feed into a larger map of what folks are seeing very Um, cool yeah
0: for this one when you have citizen scientists sign up are you like, we would like you to do this for a month, or we'd like mm. you to do this for the season, yeah. or you can do this indefinitely. Mm. What's what's the time frame as a volunteer,
1: or yeah. is there a time frame that you commit to? We have two different ways that people can be involved. The first is to record any sighting that you want to, just whenever you feel like it. Okay. So <laughs> if you're on a hike <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I would like, that. I'll record this bumblebee or monarch. You can just kind of do it as you want, and that involves the training, downloading the app, and then just recording it when you're out and about. Cool. And then there's another way of getting involved, which is to become a site steward for Monarchs. That one, there are specific sites in Utah that we know that there have been Monarchs or that we're hoping there will be Monarchs that people check on two or three times during the summer um, okay. and just look around for eggs and for chrysalis and for Monarchs. Oh, and that's yeah, fun. It's it's really cool.
0: And that mimics a little bit of the Rosie Finch project because yep. it's like, well, you have these times and uh-huh. these locations that you go. Yep.
1: Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what's your next project? Our next project is my favorite, which Ooh. I feel like I probably shouldn't say that, but I do say it. <laughs> <laughs> it is our boreal toad project. <gasps> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just love boreal toads. They are amazing. They're um, so cool. Yeah. They're so cool. They make this little squeaking sound, if you, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a warning thing actually. And so you like want to give them their space if they do yeah. that, but it's really cute also. And also, I worked with boreal toads.
0: Did you? I was a wildlife technician oh. at Waweep State Fish Hatchery in Big Water, Utah, and there's oh boreal toads what? that we were trying to breed. Uh-huh. I don't know how I feel about how it was done. I feel mm. like it could have been better. Mm. I won't say much more than that.
1: Ooh, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about it off mic. <laughs>
0: yep, yeah. And... My favorite part of the day was cleaning their little tanks oh. and feeding them. Oh. I'd, I'd always sing to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I was like, y'all need some stimulation. Yeah. And my favorite thing and why I think they're so great is when they're praying and when they're eating, uh-huh. they wiggle their toes. Do they? They wiggle. I have a, I'll show you a video oh. I have. I need to see it. Oh, it's so good. Oh, they that's just wiggle their toes. <laughs> they're back oh. toes. They're like wow. big, long back toes. It's, oh,
1: Oh, that's really cool. cute. Wow. So that's why I love boreal toad Okay, we're officially bonded. <laughs> <laughs> a boreal toad bond is a real bond. <laughs> it's a real bond. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. Also, kind of like a lot of the other species we've talked about. They're struggling in response to a few threats, including development, climate change, and then a fungus that's oh no, yeah, called chytrid fungus. Yeah, it's a really bad one for amphibians. They're facing a bunch of things, and so for this project, there are a couple ways of getting involved in this one. You can either go out with a scientist on like a day trip or a field trip that's a multi-day camp trip. That's kind of cool. Oh, that Um, is cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's our one project right now that has that option of going with a scientist for multiple days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would be, if I wasn't a grad student, I'd be so yeah. allured
1: by that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, and so, yeah, you go out and survey for, for boreal toads um, and and look at their habitats as well and just record information about it and so that's one way or you can also do the more opportunistic way of getting involved which is if you're hiking you just throw a data sheet in your backpack and if you come across habitat that looks like it might be able to support boreal toads which again there's a training to help you know about this stuff (laughs) you can just sit down and take some information which helps scientists understand where they are where they aren't so many learning opportunities folks yeah this is if, I realize this is an overload of, like, all no, of the projects. No, it's great. That's so. what it's for. That's <laughs> yeah. why I
0: wanted you to come on. People yeah. should know about this stuff. And yeah. I think it's a great resource for anybody who is interested in field work. Mm-hmm. If you're, like, an undergrad and you don't know what to do, and then yeah. you do one of these projects and you're like, this is cool, and yeah. this is what I I want to do this as a job. Because mm-hmm. you can do these things as jobs yeah. if you go in to natural resources Mm -hmm. or you can just find out that it's something that you love and you like to identify birds or it's a hobby you know yeah i can't think of one bad thing about volunteering except for not everybody has the time or the ability
1: to do it yeah Yeah, that's a good point. But if you can, I suggest you do it. Yeah. I started out as a volunteer, actually, four years ago. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, one of my questions for you was, how did you get uh, involved? Yeah. So I originally, after I graduated with my undergrad, was looking around for different job opportunities or volunteer opportunities, and I really wanted to do something that was both in my interests of environmental science and communications and storytelling. And so I yeah, looked at a lot of different organizations in Utah and different places and I found SageLand Wild Utah Project at the time, which I really liked that they were focused on long-term solutions. Yeah. I think There are a lot of of different ways that you can get involved in conservation, but that felt like a good one for me. It's long-term and hands-on. Yes. Yeah. And the community piece, I just love. I absolutely love watching the wonder of people engaging with the world around them. It's very inspiring to see
0: people learn about the world that way. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, that's that's what I'm all about, is getting people engaged and, of course,
1: science communication. Mm -hmm. So... Yes. Yeah. It's been a a neat process. When I joined the team, we had someone who did development and communications, which is huge. <laughs> <Just Yeah. weird. laughs> and so it's been, it's been cool to be able to build out our communications work and how we, we are telling the story of what we're doing, how we're engaging people, who we're engaging. It's been kind of a whole yeah, journey. But, absolutely. Yeah. Started as a volunteer, then interned, then became a coordinator and then Director like, last year. Well, so. that sounds yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for me,
0: as somebody who grew up in the Salt Lake Valley and knows all the environmental nonprofits, mm-hmm. I've always had that one in mind. I'm like, yeah. ooh, I, I think it's it's really cool to see an organization having tangible, real life impacts. Mm-hmm. And a number of the organizations, environmental nonprofits in Salt Lake, do. But this one like has it in a really special way. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> it's yeah, we talked about the rebrand a little bit, but like the word collaborative was a big one for us because mm-hmm. I think being able to take into consideration a lot of different perspectives and ways of interacting with the landscape in creating solutions and ways of thinking about problems and conservation stuff—it's a big one for us working with with all different kinds of folks. And then Sageland also is just a very scentsy word. Yeah. I, I love I love that word. I love sage. And I think you kind of smell it <laughs> when you hear the word. Yeah, <laughs> so. Sageland Collaborative. And yeah. I
0: think it does sound good all tied together. Yeah. And then, folks, you need to look up the logo. It's a pronghorn. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the colors that were chosen uh, and the pronghorn yeah. and all of it's good. I do have... Somewhere, maybe on a lost water bottle, I don't know, but an old Wild Utah Project oh. sticker. Oh, that's cool. And I remember there was also Save Our Canyons. Oh yeah, they have a slogan that's something about protect our wildness or keep Utah wild.
1: Ooh, I don't know their slogan. Yeah,
0: They're, they have something. And then I remember Janice when I was talking to her a long time ago. She's like, Yeah, everyone thinks that we're Save Our Canyons.
1: Oh. I think you're talking about Southern Utah Wilderness Southern Alliance. Southern Utah yeah. Wilderness yeah. Alliance. SUA, yeah, they have the the Wild Utah. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so like, yeah, yeah. wild Utah. That's what it is. Yes, that was one of the reasons for the. Three mm-hmm. They're birds, like, oh, everyone like- confuses
0: <laughs> us, and we're not. We're different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another good nonprofit, though. Yeah, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else generally that you want to
1: share about Sageland? I guess I would just leave it at that. There is something for everyone to do if you want to get involved. If you're not interested in getting out in the field, there's image work we talked about but also like office work we are always looking for volunteers if you're interested in learning about communications or sharing photography skills there's just there's something for everyone and Mm -hmm. we're a little team that just loves our volunteers so please come meet us. (laughs) (laughs) and then you get a chance to meet sarah and you Ah, get a chance to meet janice gardner Uh who's awesome yeah so we have a couple other ecologists as well and our executive director yeah everyone's amazing it's a great team Mm -hmm. this is
0: super tangential, but the last time I was there there was a kitten and a puppy. Oh yeah. And they were brand spankin' new. And they were rolling around together on the floor and (laughs) I Lost it. Yeah. I don't know whose animals they were. Yeah. Were they Janice's?
1: They were Kim's. So she was okay. our previous development director. Oh and yeah, she had my god! two babies. That was that was great. I was like, how do you get work done? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh
0: my goodness! It they was were amazing. so little. And I, I don't know. Did they have matching coat colors? Probably. That oh sounds like gosh. it would have happened. It was so. It was dumb cute. <laughs> yeah. Just thinking yeah. about, all oh, little baby puppies and kittens playing together. Oh, that makes uh, me miss that. Yeah. Oh,
1: yes.
0: <laughs> this is why I like to talk about cats on yeah. my podcast is because it floods you with all these endorphins. We
1: need it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We Killie need and cute Wicked. things.
1: Like, yeah. Little baby. We need Killy and Wicked? Killy and Wicked were their names. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. oh okay. Yeah. We can come back from this tangent.
0: Um, I was going to ask you what... Events are coming up that people Mm -hmm. can get
1: involved in. Our main upcoming stuff, I would say, is our stream program. So we have a lot of dates that are flooded during the fall. So Mm -hmm. we would love your help on any of those. We have a volunteer thank you event that's coming up if you are already a volunteer to come hang out at Tracy Aviary. So you should come. I'll come. Yes. And I
0: love the Tracy Aviary. Another shout out to a great organization. Oh, they're amazing. Oh,
1: yeah. They're Mm -hmm. the best. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so we've got that coming up. And then our image analysis training will also be in the fall. So if that is interesting to people, okay. sign up and we'll send you an email about when that'll And be. then the Rosie Finch surveys in the winter. Yes. Yeah. Please come join. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it'll be, it's a great way in the winter to, yeah, get outside, like you said. Mm-hmm.
0: And that volunteer appreciation event, uh-huh. I think it was virtual last year. Right. And I donated and then I won that picture. <gasps> Nobody listening. Oh my goodness can hear this but it's it's a beautiful piece of art of two chickadees which again are my favorite animal and so it's right up there thanks to sage land collaborative okay i didn't even think about that until you i was like oh i can see the picture and i'm seeing you and you're saying volunteer event so you know tying it all together okay that's amazing wow (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) so remind folks again your website and maybe where
1: they can follow you on social media Yeah. So we are sagelandcollaborative.org. And then our social media is all under either sagelandcollab or sagelandcollaborative. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, not as active on Twitter, but we do have a Twitter (laughs) and LinkedIn. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: I, as I've expressed, I love Collaborative. I think everything you do is so cool. I learned some new stuff today and hopefully our listeners did as well. And hopefully they'll volunteer and Learn even more. So go volunteer, folks. Before we wrap up, I do want to do another call out for guests. If somebody has a guest that they think should come on and they want to hear them talk or a subject, I'm looking for a few folks to talk about. Well, one one subject is I do want to talk to somebody about eating disorders and how we move through those. So if you have somebody good in mind for that, let me know. You can find me on Instagram. I have not been that active, but if you want to communicate with me, that's the place to do it. If you are somebody who is interested in collaborating with me to work on the podcast, let me know looking for someone to do that too. Cause you know, I'm in grad school and I've been a little slow as you might've noticed if you're an active listener. But that is it. And I need to thank AJ for writing and performing the intro music. And as my dad always says, use your head and be clever. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye.